It is ordinary people who are God's salt and light in the world. It's not so much the most talented, nor the most pretty. God's beauty, you see, is intended to shine through our ordinariness, more than our perfection. Part of the message today is a reminder to stop striving in our own strength, to live in God's grace, to let God be God in you, and to let Him deeply touch you, to heal you, to really change the depths of your personality. Today, if you acknowledge your weakness and your limitations, you are in great shape. <laughs> We're going to find out more about that this day. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapters 7, 5, 6, and 7. We're going to begin just by introducing what the Sermon on the Mount is. We begin with the first three verses. The Bible says, Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, I want us to start this day by thinking again about Jesus being a master teacher. Jesus is a master teacher. I want you to think in your mind's eye, think back to those who have been most influential in your life, in your educational settings. Maybe your mind goes all the way back to elementary school. My, one of my favorite teachers in elementary school, her name was Mrs. Goodness. And uh, not even joking, first grade and second grade, and she deserved that name, Goodness. That was her real last name, but she was every bit of goodness. And I loved Mrs. Goodness in my early schooling experiences. But uh, I want you to think back at any period of your educational life and think about the teacher. Uh, maybe it was a parent or a coach even outside of the classroom, but who is it? that touched your life in an educational way, who influenced you? Who is it that was an excellent teacher in your life? And what is it about that person that, that was so meaningful in the way that they taught you? Most likely what happens when this question is asked, people bring up topics like that, that the person has such a deep and thorough knowledge in their particular field, or uh, that they, they had great experience working inside the particular topic that they were presenting uh, or sharing or demonstrating. They had the ability to communicate or to demonstrate this thing that they were trying to help you learn. Or maybe you might say, they impressed me and touched my life because they took such a deep interest in me personally. And you could just tell they really wanted me to learn and to grow. Jesus is the master teacher. And as we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, it is so important, I believe, that we understand that Jesus is this master teacher. We begin to work by hearing about his master class, his master class known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is these three chapters. If, if you want to share with somebody what is the basic content of what Jesus taught 
his disciples. What is it? If you were to point to one passage or one resource in the Bible that, that would, would encapsulate the basic thing that Jesus wants a disciple today to learn and to know, this would be the place I would recommend you begin. In the Sermon on the Mount. Because it is the core of Jesus' teaching. And how we're going to approach it in these weeks to come is I'm going to approach the Sermon on the Mount as a cohesive unit, a cohesive whole, not, not just elements of various uh, teachings that he brought that, that some author or editor cobbled together, but I'm going to approach it as if Jesus really is the master teacher that I think he is and was. And we're going to approach it because every master teacher has a thorough uh, understanding and grasp, and uh, they are the authority on the subject matter that they teach. And so I believe that as, as a, a, an itinerant teacher, one who traveled around, that this he would have told and taught this particular basic message time and time again as he went along. And this is what the master class is about. The title might be Sermon on the Mount, but here's what the subject is. How do you live, how do I live in the kingdom of God? How do we live inside God's kingdom? And so we begin, he begins with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. He starts there instead of commandments. He doesn't begin with, I command you now, if you're going to follow me, to, to do this and to do this and to do this. He doesn't start there. He begins with statements of identity, statements of, uh, that describe uh, who you are before you focus on what you are to do. You see, it is so critical as followers of Jesus that we know who before do. Does that make sense to you? It is so important that before we go out to try to do and accomplish something for Jesus, that we know where our lives are rooted. We know to whom we have been grafted into. We know to what body we are a part of. And it is so fundamentally important that you recognize who you are in Jesus. And it's in that identity now that the personality of Jesus begins to grow in you and to flow out of you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to begin by focusing on blessed are the poor in spirit. This word blessed refers to those who are to be congratulated, not because they're poor, but because they recognize God's gift of grace is available to them. That is the great wonder of what Jesus has done in the gospel. He's come to the broken. He has come to the needy. He has come to those who have tasted the bitterness of life's cruelty and brokenness. And he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for you and yours is the kingdom of the heavens. It is those who are most in need of God's touch, and they know it. And they know it. Congratulations if you fall into this category. And if you are not certain today, I pray that Jesus and God's Spirit would alert you to the reality that you so desperately need Jesus in your life. The kingdom of God has come near. That's why Jesus 
calls the people to repent and to know. It is a recognition, you see, that I am a spiritual zero. Have you ever come to that confession and conclusion that uh, you lack the spiritual resources to become everything that you would want to be and everything that God desires you to be, and you become and recognize that you are utterly dependent upon God. You are utterly in need of the presence and touch of Jesus in your life. And you are embracing your spiritual need and God's ability to supply that need. I want us to take just a minute, and I want us to contrast this type of person that I'm describing, a person who recognizes his or her spiritual depravity, their, their, their need for the presence of God to touch and enliven their spirit, to fulfill them in every facet that God would want. And I want to contrast that person to, to the picture that's often painted in the Bible to the Pharisees. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to hear me now. For the hearers of Jesus in this moment, their minds would have been blown at this statement. Because how in the world could these ordinary Needy, they're not the prettiest, they're not the most successful people in the world. How can they have a spiritual life, a sense of righteousness that goes beyond that of the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the ones who, who took it upon themselves to police everybody else's life in their spiritual living, in the practices that they engaged in. And they were the ones who were known as those who were super serious and the super spiritually mature. And Jesus says to the ordinary person, you see, the sermon is not for the super saint. The sermon is for those who recognize the warts and the bruises of their life and say, because of these things, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you every hour. And so, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the Pharisees, and in our own strength, we recognize that I cannot do that on my own. And that's right where we need to be. Now, God has gotten our attention. And we recognize that I have no spiritual ability in myself. That God wants to supply what I need to enliven my life and to fulfill my life to the extreme. We read in Luke chapter 18, the Bible says this, Jesus talking about the Pharisees again, he says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. 
But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus concludes, he says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, this tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, this broken sinner, rather than the super saint who projects this identity that's not lived out in reality, that, that looks upon himself in his self-righteous ways, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. I tell you, friends, that the tax collector in that parable, the one who recognized his spiritual need, the one who recognized that he did not measure up, the one who recognized that he was in need of the mercy and forgiveness and that the grace of the living God, he is the one who received it, and, and he is the one who is most like the crowds who gathered around Jesus this day. The crowds who came, they're described right before chapter 5, they're described as those who were ill, those who were suffering, those who were demon-possessed and broken. These were, were the dregs of society. These were not the, the, the most successful or the prettiest or the most talented. They were not the ones that constantly got gold stars in school. These were not the ones who constantly got promotions at their work. These were the ordinary stock of life. And they are the ones who gather around Jesus. They are the ones who are recognizing their spiritual need. And they are the ones who then are rewarded with the gift of God's grace. You see, these are the ones who recognize, they recognize that they don't need to hide from God what is ugly or repulsive inside of them. They recognize that they are not the ones who need to be like Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame, who would hide out of fear of his ugliness before others. You see, this is our lot, this is my lot, that we have the freedom and the invitation to not have to try to dress ourselves up or to make ourselves presentable before God. Is that He calls us in our brokenness. The Bible says while we were still sinners that Jesus died for us. And this is the type of person who is ready to receive and to be filled with the fullness of the life of Jesus so that their righteousness can go beyond the Pharisees so that the reality of their life, what is formed deep inside of them, is what then pleases God. You see, Jesus comes for the wobbly people, the weak-kneed people who aren't too proud to accept God's gift of grace. You see, Jesus comes for the account manager who has all the money in the world, but realizes that his life is not full. Jesus comes for the retired and aging person who sits at home mostly isolated all week long, and Jesus comes for that person. Jesus comes for the high school student today who is overwhelmed with the demands of classes and tests. Jesus comes for the college graduate who is struggling to land her first job, Jesus comes for the business person 
who has sold her integrity, his integrity in a series of desperate interactions and transactions. You see, these are the people, these crowds that gathered around Jesus, these who are uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, these are the ones that, that began to understand what the Apostle Paul would discover. That my, when Jesus told him that, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, God shines most vividly in the midst of our weakness. You see, the strength of God is most vivid in the midst of our weakness. The beauty of Jesus is seen most clearly when you are real and honest about the, the depravity, the, the deplorable part of your life, the ugliness of your life, and you give it to Him, and you invite Him to heal it and to touch it and to bring you wholeness. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very last verse of chapter 7 it describes that these crowds, these crowds who are described at the end of chapter 4, at the end of chapter 7, they are the ones who are amazed. They're amazed because Jesus is offering and opening the kingdom even to them. Even to them. The most ordinary, the most undeserving. That is just what grace is. It is God's unmerited favor given to those who do not deserve it, those who do not earn it and cannot earn it, those sometimes who are the most unexpected recipients, just like me, and perhaps just like you. So how does one enter in to the kingdom of the heavens? Well, it is by embracing our sense of spiritual poverty. It's by recognizing that spiritually I am bankrupt. And I come to a place where I recognize that I need to completely lean on, upon, and into God who is my help. See, we see in verse 1 of chapter 5, it's the, the disciples, the crowds are gathered, the disciples come near, but everyone's paying attention. And it's his disciples who come to him, those who, who have traded in their life, the life that they would have lived outside of God's kingdom, outside of God's uh, purview, and, and they have come in order to live inside of God's kingdom. And Jesus now gives this master class on the kingdom of God through the Sermon on the Mount to teach them how. How are you to live in the kingdom of heaven? You see, you and I, we too depend today utterly upon Jesus for our spiritual reality. We depend upon the work that Jesus did on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. And so you and I can trade our sinfulness. We give that to God, all the brokenness of our life. The pain, the pain that we've received and the pain that we have caused others, we lay it down at the foot of the cross and we seek the healing and forgiveness that Jesus offers there. And then we look to the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus to trust and to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And with that rising from the dead, there is the reality that, that he has promised and is preparing a forever new life for you. 
so then we seek the rest of our life as we've embraced the cross and we've turned from our old way of life. And we say yes to the cross of Jesus. And we say yes, I am, I am now not my own because I've been bought at a price. And, and I believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that I too have been promised eternal life. And then we seek to live the rest of our days with the risen Jesus as we grow in understanding and exploring the wonder of God's great kingdom. The Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, wrote several years ago a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And at the beginning of the book, he pens these words, and in place of the book title, he's describing who this book is designed for. I'm going to replace his book title with either uh, The Kingdom of God or Gospel. And I want you to hear the words because I think this is also what Jesus is saying about the invitation into His great kingdom. For those who recognize their need and recognize that Jesus is the one who can meet that need. The Gospel is written with a specific audience in mind. The Sermon on the Mount is written with such an audience. It is not for the super spiritual. It's not for the muscular Christians who have made John Wayne and not Jesus their hero. It is not for the the academics who would imprison Jesus to the ivory tower of exegesis. It is not for noisy, feel-good folks who manipulate Christianity into a naked appeal to emotion. It is not for hooded mystics who want magic in their religion. It is not for hallelujah Christians who live only on the mountaintop and have never visited the valley of desolation. It is not for the fearless and tearless. It is not for the red-hot zealots who boast with the rich young ruler of the Gospels that all these commandments I have kept from my youth. You see, the Gospel is not for the complacent hoisting over their shoulder a tote bag of honors, diplomas, and good works actually believing they have made it. The Sermon on the Mount is not for legalists who would rather surrender control of their souls to rules rather than run the risk of living in union with Jesus. If anyone is still reading along and hearing these words, you see, the gospel is offered to the bedraggled, the beat up, and the burnt out. It is for the sorely burdened who are still shifting the heavy suitcase from one hand to another. It is for the wobbly and the weak need who know they don't have it all together. It is for the inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. It's for the poor, the weak, the sinful men and women with hereditary faults and limited talents. It is for earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. It is for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. It's for smart people who know they are stupid and honest disciples who admit they are scallywags. 
You see, this gospel is for people like me. And for people like you. And for these crowds who gathered and the disciples who came close. Men and women, boys and girls who recognized their great need of Jesus. And apart from Him, life will never be what we want it to be. And apart from Him, life will never be what God intends it to be for you. And apart from Jesus, you will never know truly the way of life in the way of Jesus and what the broken world is intended to be as you walk and learn from Jesus how to live your life in this, your world. And so we are starting a grand adventure together in this master class of Jesus, and I can't wait to do it with you. Lord, we pray this day that you would hold us and guide us and teach us and help us to be willing followers. Would you illumine our minds? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears and oil up our knees so that we might bow in humble submission and joy and anticipation of what you will teach us in this your master class through the Sermon on the Mount. Teach us about the kingdom of the heavens that we may, through your grace, not what we earn, through your grace, not what we deserve, through your grace, may we recognize our need and accept the gift that you offer to us. A gift that cannot be purchased. A gift that cannot be borrowed or test-driven. It is a gift that is to be taken, received with gladness, and then digested into our days. Make it so, we pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen.